What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. It's been so long since we've put a new We're shithouse at it. We're so bad at it. <laughs> Our four sponsors. <laughs> we're so bad at it, and we want to get better going forward. Yes. But here's a quick a ad, <laughs> and then we're going to be better at this. Okay. We're going to be better. Yeah. I promise we're going to be better. Yeah. Except for the buffet. Yeah. Fucking Einzawina. <laughs> Tell us about Einzawina. He's been, he's been in it from the start. If you want a tug, a ball, a slip leash. A slip lead. You know, really, no joke, his slip leads are the best slip leads. They are great slip leads. They are the best. They're handmade. They're hand-loved. Yeah. Do you know, there's times where I look at material when we're actually buying things for our businesses and some of them are just shit house. Yeah. Like they're so mass produced. Jason takes his time. He puts them together properly. Like if you're listening, chances are you're in the industry, you're in the business, you need a lot of leashes, you sell them to clients, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Decade staff. The best thing about the Einzawina leashes is that he custom makes them. He so does. you can get whatever you want, whatever yeah, color, whatever length. Too. Like he's a handle on it, no handle on it, whatever. I, yeah. I had him make that handler pack for me because I got sick of people turning out with shit leashes. Now everyone I train with uses all these perfect leashes. Yeah. So get some stuff from the Einzawina. He's been supporting us from the start. We love him. We hate him sometimes. Make sure you're telling me he's a bullfed. Yeah. Yep. Canonceuticals. Going great. Thank you, people in the United States who prioritize your dog's health through yeah. supplementation. I am a walking testimonial for Canonceuticals because if you go back, you hear 18 months ago, I was like, yeah, pretty sure my dog's going to die any minute because he was so unwell mm. and got him on the subs and he's actually in the best shape he's been in in ages. Narelle's always maintained if it never worked, she'd burn it to the ground. She's just got too much pride and too much neuroticism not to <laughs> not to put something to market that she didn't believe in. And the wonderful thing about it is it's working well. The testimonials have been amazing mm. and very heartfelt. Like she gets people who are so agitated and depressed and distressed about the health and the well-being of their dogs. Narelle makes no outrageous claims. Mm -hmm. She's never said that it's the one thing that does everything for dogs. She just says it's going to help you. Mm -hmm. By law, she's not allowed to make those claims, but she wouldn't want to anyway. But what she does tell people is it's definitely going to do better for your dog. Yeah, We watch our own dogs. Opie, who's got more things than you could poke a stick wrong with him, he probably wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't through Narelle's treatment, through good supplementation, changing diets, all those sort of things. I could talk about it forever. I don't want to make this sound like a buy sales pitch. I'm a fan of it because I know if it works. If it didn't, I wouldn't. Well, it's an ad. Well, it's an ad. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't disgrace myself by talking about something that didn't work. I'd be the same with her. I'd just say burn it to the ground. I don't want to know about it. Yeah. And if you're a first-time customer in Australia or the US, Narelle's offering a 10% discount off the entire range of CaninesCeuticals products by typing in the discount code TCP10 at checkout. Let's work through our sponsor list. Yes. These are the people that sponsor us and we love them for it and we're plugging their business. Yes. First on our list here is Daniel, who we don't know how to say is Tropiano? Tropino. I thought we Trop just called him Troppy Daniel. Troppy Daniel. Troppy Daniel. Dog Club, South Australia. Yep. Awesome train facility. Representing South Australia, it is great to see that a yep. state that's usually sleepy and not so hoping some hosting some cool events there. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Daniel. Well done. George Kittridge. Rowdy Hound. Yeah. It's fucking cool. It's a box for your dog that goes on your motorbike. The only one that I know of. Yeah. It's the coolest product not in Australia yet. So hopefully one day we we can talk to Horny George about getting some Rowdy Hound dog boxes in here. He does training videos. He shows people how to train their dogs to get into the Rowdy Hound. He's a dog trainer himself. He's in the biz. Yep. Barbara Groot. From the Heart Dog Training. That's her. Our sugar mama. Yeah. She's so good. I love She has nothing in return. She just plasters with love and money. She's very encouraging all the time. Thank you, Barbara. She's a roddy lady. So what would you expect? Yep. Tailored canines. We don't know much about Tailored canines. <laughs> we just turned up one day and said, hey, we just want to throw some money at you. But they offer a complete range of canine training services. Yep. Tailored canines. Where are they? They're in Canada, right? They're in Canada. Yeah. So, so we've got a couple of Canadians, we've got a couple of Americans, we've got a couple of Aussies. Good eclectic mix. We haven't got anyone from Europe. Fucking hell. <laughs> Up your game. But we don't, can't take any more sponsors. So uh, <laughs> we, 
we're, about, we're bad about, enough what, at what about Birdie? Birdie oh yeah so we are plugging as well Birdie was on for us last week and yeah. then told us about her webinar thing that she's got going on for yep. people in the magic of dogs magic of dogs so head to birdieoshetty.com I think is her website yep. and you can check that out there all the sponsors trust us we're getting better at the ads I promise you yep. next we're, we're going to be in touch with you and we're going to get better at it we're going to take it more seriously we're just shit at it because we've got other stuff and this is just an extra that we like to do we thank you very much but for we both support. spanked each other Pat spanked yeah. me and then I spanked him and yeah and we need to we, get better at this yeah we do we were going to leave it another week of the existing ad and thought no we can't possibly we're actually no, together no, for the first time yep. that's what's been holding us back is that we we haven't been together yeah I haven't yeah. Oh, missed you I missed you too alright that's it here's the show bye Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm wonderful. You've been on an adventure. I have been on an amazing adventure. I've been with Red Team again, and I know I always come back and I say how great it was, but this one <laughs> <laughs> but this one actually did steal the cake. It was two-week back-to-back course in Canberra. We were doing the AFP with some of the state groups as well. So we had New South Wales and Vic Pole also turning up, which was fantastic to see. We should explain what that is. So AFP, because most of our audience is still in the US, right? So AFP is our federal police, Australian federal police. Vic Pole is the Victoria police, which is a state at the bottom of Australia. And would you say New South Wales police, which New is South the Wales state police. we're in. That's, yeah. that's the state we're in, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I keep forgetting that when we use these shortened acronyms and so forth that we know exactly yeah. who they are, but our overseas yeah. listeners AFP don't. AFP is a, is a funny one because that's FBI, the same thing. It's our federal police. Yeah, that's right. They've got a magnificent facility down in Canberra where they provide a lot of the training down there. And I love it as a facility. They're constantly looking at remodeling and improving. I mean, it's been the same for a long time, but they're starting to add new additions, new equipment. They're mm-hmm. really re-strategizing and thinking, and they're really jumping on the front foot as of late. You know, I've, I've just noticed such a dramatic increase in their capability of late, which is credit to Holmesy and Kirsto and all the amazing trainers down there. I'm not going to use their original names, but I'll use a nickname. So, you know, like there's people like Kempi and Ricey, Jeff, Jason, there's a bunch of people I met down there who are really starting to catch up to what the world is producing as a high standard. Mm-hmm. That was evident when I first went there in 2019 and I was sort of watching their training then versus their training now. They've really expediated it it into modern day training and it's just amazing what I was watching. I was really, really impressed. They're putting a heap of time into their capability. You can just see their leadership really investing into it, which is something that as a civilian and as an outsider, it's something that hopefully if any time I've ever got anybody that's in control of monetizing or funding capabilities in our federal police, our state police, in those sort of capabilities, it's often that a lot of the ministerial or the politician police often overlook canine. They often think, oh, you know, we can just cut from the budget there and do a bit of slicing and Mm. dicing here and there. But if I've ever got any sway in saying that, please don't. These are some of our frontline people who are working to protect our borders. Don't cut funding on these people. Increase funding on them. Make sure that you're actually going down there and you're getting an education on it, not just thinking of it as something that dogs aren't really my thing. I think not only in Australia but all around the world, the political police and the politicians, they kind of just think that's great, we've got doggies in our thing, wonderful because they're not really directly involved in it and it's not really their thing, they can easily overlook it. I'm not suggesting that this has happened because, like, I can see better funding coming through in the AFP training. And, I mean, that's certainly evident that they're getting red team out and we're doing our training procedures with HME and so forth. But please, guys, please, for the love of God, these men and women put their lives on the line for our border security for so many things like our mail operations, our airports, our ports, and these dogs are essential in the good work that these people are doing. So please make sure that you understand what's at stake 
make sure you understand the high level risk of not doing things like this and what it could mean to our borders, our ports, our mail centers and so forth by scrimping a little bit of cash here and there. It's far more important that you invest in the technology, that you invest in the training, that you invest in the progress. Our handlers deserve it. The dogs deserve it, you know, like, and our citizens definitely deserve it. Mm, Good speech. Thanks. You enjoy those days, right? I love those weeks, I guess, because it's the sort of pointy end dog training that you love to do. It's, you know, when your day to day is a lot of the same kind of pet sort of stuff, right? And then when you go down and do that, it's it's exciting. It's people you enjoy working with. It's the type of work that is high stakes and fun and all that. Mate, I've got to tell you, Andrew Coe, the guy who owns and runs Red Team, he looks after us exponentially. Like every time we go down there, it's just an incredible time. He puts on great accommodation. He, you know, like he feeds us well. He looks after us. He does everything well. The two guys that I was there with, Andrew and Greg, we get along well. We don't get on each other's nerves. We have good laughs every single night. But also when we're up in the morning and we're on site, we're all working. We're all working hard. Mm -hmm. They're big days. By the time we sort of get up, get there and get home, it's a 10 hour day each day. But It doesn't feel like that, like the day roars past, the week roared past, the two weeks just flew by because we're all enjoying each other's company. I love watching the work that all the cops were doing. And as you said before, it really invigorated me getting to have an input there. And what I do need to tell everybody is that all I do when I go down there is offer suggestions. I'm not the main trainer in the game. All of these departments have their main trainers and we don't want to step on people's feet. We make that evident from the start. We're in your church, we come down there, we're introducing product, we're responsible for product and all we're doing is just like if we see anything, we're just offering suggestions at the time. But it's nice that we get the flexibility to do that as well. You know, like we work in line with the trainers, we have discussions with them, we just make sure that they're cool with anything that we're saying and doing and it's great to get feedback from them, it's great to get feedback from the leadership and it's also wonderful to get feedback and see results from the trainers as well that sort of stuff makes me excited. And it also, as I said before, it makes me excited to know that I play a tiny little role in helping the very important servicemen and women in those extremely important roles. I get to play a little part in that. And that sort of ticks a little bit of a pride box, if I don't mind saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's always a part of it. Even for myself, I find that when I do any work with the cops, the police Mm. and military, all that kind of thing, it's like you're still, you're in the game a little bit, you know? I find that especially for me that, that that's a big thing because I didn't leave the army by choice, you know? And so when I get invited back to say like, Hey, you can contribute again. It always gives you that like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Sweet. I'm still part of it. I'm still part of helping this machine move forward in whatever way that I possibly can. Yeah. It's a nice feeling. I guess one of the things I really wanted to talk about, and you had a topic. So you start with the topic because I really feel that it bleeds into a lot of yeah. what I was doing down there and just, In general, once you sort of said the topic name, I thought, yeah, that's a really good thing to talk about. I want to hit on the topic of the oversight in training. Maybe that looks like having a training director. Maybe that looks like directing your own training. Maybe that looks like having a mentor. Whatever that looks and feels like, and I want to sort of tease out why that's so important and whatever form it takes, it's got to take one of those forms. And the reason I'm triggered on this or, or, you know, wrote it down on my list of things that we should talk about is that I train with a lot of different people and there's people who I'm the training director of, you know, we have a club and there's people who, when they turn up, I say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we work together and I make my suggestions. I steer the ship for what they're doing. But then there's other people who I'm just a very small cog in the machine of their training. One thing I sort of found out recently was one person who I was doing some stuff with doesn't have anyone giving any oversight. And so they're a fairly junior handler themselves. And enjoy the process of going to see lots of other different trainers. The problem became that I realized recently that nobody is actually steering the ship here. This person goes to a bunch of different trainers. And when the dog comes to me, I look and I say, so what are we working on? Assuming that there's a thing that I'm the expert in, right? Like that you have put a session with me because there's this problem that you and the people you train with or the director of your training, which maybe you, has decided that I'm a person that can help with. And I realized that wasn't the case. It was just that this person was training with a bunch of people for the sake of training with a bunch of people, Mm. which is fine. Like I never want to be a person that talks people out of training with other people or you're training in different systems or, or anything like that. But what I realized was there's nobody who's actually steering the ship here. 
And this person, because they didn't really know what they were doing, was just enjoying the process of training with a bunch of different trainers. And like I say, that's totally fine, except that nobody was actually deciding, okay, but where are we heading with this dog? Like, what is the actual direction that we're going in? And every training session should have a left and right of arc that keeps the dog headed towards where we're ultimately going for. And when I realized that wasn't the case, I thought, oh, fuck, like I haven't always checked that with people when they come to me and they're like, here's my dog, what should we do? And my assessment on that dog in that moment is not a really a fair assessment of the dog. Because if it's somebody who comes to me, they come into my shop and I get to see the version of the dog that comes into here. But this is dog training paradise in here. You know, this is a space that is specifically built for training dogs. I've got all the equipment laid out. The dogs can see everything. There's no other dogs in here. It's usually just me and the handler. If the dog is reactive or dangerous or whatever, I've got a mezzanine level so that I can even, if the dog is upset by my presence alone, we can build up to that because I can be above and out of the space of the dog. So like, I don't actually get to see the dog for what the dog really is. I get to see the version of the dog that turns up here. And it's the same on Zoom calls. It's the same on when I do things online is people will send me videos or or, you know, we watch videos together of the dog or whatever. But again, those are just snapshots in time where I don't really know what is going on with that dog beyond the pieces that you've chosen to show me. And nobody shows the the right stuff. You know? <laughs> like when people, people go like, this is the dog, this is him working, this is doing whatever. But I'm like, okay, but I want to see how you get him out of the car. Like I want to see how you go from the car to the start of that session because I see in this session, the dog's wearing a flat collar, a prong collar, an e-collar. I want to see how those went on. I want to see how the dog reacted when those went on. I want to see how the dog feels about that. I want to see that toy that you've got in your hand. Show me the first time you gave that to the dog in the session. I want to see those things unfold. And so what I kind of realized was that not everybody has someone giving oversight of their training. And, and before I carry on too much more about it, what I also want to point out is that this doesn't necessarily meet, need to be some external person. In fact, it very likely should be the handler. The handler really should be making sure that their own dog is going on the trajectory that they have intended for it. But that, you know, I, I, when I, when I started really deeply thinking about that and thinking these people should do better by their dogs, they should know where they're going. I put myself into my shoes with my first dog, having no idea where the fuck I was going with it, you know, and having no idea what would come of the sessions that I was doing or that people were helping me with. I certainly didn't have that skill set at the time to, to be able to see through these things. I'm sort of bumbling one step at a time, you know, I'm just going like one lily pad to the other. And without knowing what's the effect of the lily pad that I was just on, is it sinking or is it staying there? Is that something I can go back to or is as that ship sailed? And these ones that are ahead of me, there's multiple, which is the one that I'm going to jump onto next. And I was just kind of jumping around blindly, which is what most people do, right? Mm. But I think the importance then of having somebody who gives a level of oversight to your training until you feel competent and confident to do that yourself. And that's what I want to try and tease apart. I think that's a great topic and it reminds me, which funnily enough just popped up on Netflix, but I've seen the old series before, which is Avatar The Last Airbender. Long story short, it summarizes a little bit of what you were saying before where it's a kid who his whole village is wiped out by firecasters or firebenders yeah. or whatever they called. So they basically wipe his entire village out and he's just a young kid who's basically found out that he's the Avatar, which is he possesses all of fire, earth, air and water, but he's the saviour of the world effectively. Because he shunned his mentors at the start and he sort of didn't see training as important, he now has realised that he made an, a terrible mistake and he had people there that were going to mentor him, people there that were going to teach him, but he was a child. He wanted to run off and play and do all those fun and exciting things until he realized this immediate and huge responsibility that had fallen upon him. Now what he has to do is travel the world and meet people and meet masters and meet some of the spirits of the other former avatars so they can now train him and, and give him the skills that he needs to acquire in order to become this great and responsible world saviour. I know we're not talking about exact parallels when we're comparing that to becoming a dog trainer or learning skills, but I often find that we're always on this never-ending journey for the life of our dogs and sometimes even for the life of ourselves in that we're collecting and acquiring skills. 
from people along the way. And you're right. There are people that are very good at starting some things, but they may not be good at finishing other things. I've had trainers myself where I consider it a starting school and I've had other trainers where I consider it a finishing school where Mm -hmm. somebody can show me how to start it really well and they're at that beginner bracket themselves as a trainer and educator. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way, but what they are is somebody who is really good at starting you off. And the reason they're really good at starting you off is because they understand that level, they're relatable to it, they haven't ascended so high that they can't see that anymore from the dizzying heights that they're now occupying. I have spoken on that topic before and it's come up on several leadership books and educational material that I've written in where academics and people who have ascended those levels, they don't understand the beginner levels anymore. They often scoff and they often think, oh, that's easy or that's basic. But to somebody who's starting off who doesn't have the answers or doesn't even know how to assemble the puzzle before them, it's because they've lost touch with it. They're not Mm. intimate with it anymore. Where people who begin or are in those brackets, they kind of understand it because they deal with it from time to time. So they're a great mentor for that bracket. And I often find that you can bracket mentors in different realms for different things. Like there are some people we've identified before in PSA that there are some people who are just brilliant at obedience, like all the finishing obedience work. They just really know how to get some of that ultimate flashy obedience. There's some people who are incredible at developing young puppies and juveniles in rag and tug work and wedges and so forth. And then there are people who are brilliant decoys, like they're fantastic at getting that finishing end to the dog, like getting the dog ready for trial. So yes, there are people that you definitely need to see along the way. It maybe contradicts things that I've said in the past. Now that I think on it a bit, little bit, because we've talked about lily pad hoppers where people just, you know, jump from trainer to trainer. But let me put that in perspective from me just thinking on that, because I have been doing a lot of thinking about that over time, in that the difference between the two of them is identifying a skill set that you need to have and also including your trainers in that as well. And that's what I really love and admire about some of the people that I've worked with, some people that you've worked with, and many of my other colleague trainers around the world have worked with is that this is a part of a conversation and it's an inclusion. It's not just, I'm just shopping trainers all around the world and then finding out I haven't got any answers. I've got more questions, if anything. And then they come back to you and then they want you to solve all the problems. That's the frustration I think we talk on. It's not when you're included Mm. or you find that somebody has a skill set. Now, I get it. Sometimes it hurts the ego when you feel like, oh, I really should have the answers for this person. But your responsibility as a trainer and a director and a mentor sometimes is to be that person who guides your student into the area that they need to be. That's the director part of training director is directing them to where they need to be, not hobbling them and holding them back. And I've seen that as a fault of my own. It's just insecurities that many of us in this industry suffer from. We kind of think, oh, no, 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 I have to covet this person. This person is mine. They're a possession, they're property. And that's the wrong way to look at it. They're free to do as they wish. Your job, as I said, is to be a mentor to them, be the resounding and the guiding light to say to them, or the mature one in the conversation to say to them, hey, we've reached a plateau here. This is where you and I step off. And I need you to Mm. see my colleague because you have transcended my capability. And that's okay. That's fine because that means that you're ready for your next student. All you need to do is Mm. to say to them, good luck, my friend, remember me. And if you do that right, your student will pay homage to you. They will remember you. You'll be part of their legacy and part of their story. But if you don't do it right, where you kind of burn them and you don't give them the ability to be able to work along in some other way, they'll look back at you and say, you know, like I could have been here a lot faster, but you held me back and you didn't give me the opportunity to seek out these people or complete my journey. Like you stopped me from doing it. And I believed in you and I trusted you and I rode this wave with you all the way, but like you kind of capped me through your insecurity. And I feel that that's something as trainers and something as even handlers and and people involved in the sports and people are involved in training dogs just for pet dog purposes. 
we really need to examine our capability or even our limitations sometimes, understand where they are and not feel the fragilities of them, but be at peace with where you are. And if you need to get better, if you need to improve, then you need to become a student again. You need to stop at looking at yourself as I'm the master and I can't be told or I can't be taught anything. We've identified and we've touched on that in the past, how lonely and how terrible that is to be in that bracket itself. Why wouldn't you be interested in your personal growth? I'm kind of a little bit on a high, which is why I'm feeling so inspirational at this point in time, because I did come off those two weeks. It's something that I really enjoy doing. And in particular, those last two weeks were really enjoyable, as I identified before. But the other thing which really inspired me was on the way there and on the way back, I listened to Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Be Useful. I haven't heard that one. You're liking it? Listen to it. I completed it. It's an extension of the Netflix series that he did. However, he really goes into great detail about the importance of, you know, making yourself useful throughout your life. And one thing that I really fucking loved about it is that he never made the book or his life about himself. He talked about his time with Franco Colombo and, you know, Joe Weider Mm -hmm. and all of these people who gave him opportunity and they gave him the ability to create what he was creating, even though he was ambitious and he had goals He always points out, I couldn't have done it without these people. They're so important to me. They're so important to me. He just never made it about the Arnold Schwarzenegger legacy. It was a beautiful collaboration of all the people around him that gave him legs to stand on all his different career paths. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, that's something that in Australia we don't often do. We kind of get to this point where we just think, I don't want to identify these other people because I don't want you to look at them. I don't want you to see mm. them. I want you to look at me. I'm the important one in this story. Please keep this light and keep it huddling over the top of me because I, I'm insecure about losing this. It made me realize when he was saying this and when he pointed this out in the book Truer words couldn't have been mentioned. There's so many shoulders that carry you through your career and give you the ability. I think Anthony Robbins used to have a series on it called On the Shoulders of Giants or something like that. He identified that in order to become a giant yourself, you need to be carried by giants or words to Mm. that effect. I might have completely botched that. Anthony, (laughs) I know you're a fan of the show. He's a huge fan. Huge fan like Uncle Bobby and... Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan, all yeah. those all those wonderful people. They all listen. <laughs> it's thoughts and feelings that have sort of been flowing as I've had a lot of time to reflect. I've been on the road traveling to and fro and just sitting there at night rethinking things in my head. Like lots of thoughts are coming through me at the moment, which is great. I've, I haven't felt this unburdened for a long time, so it was a great time to reflect on a few things. That's awesome. Mm. I was thinking as you're talking, this idea of oversight of training, right? And when Jane was pregnant for the first time with our son, Rip, we went to see her obstetrician. We're paying, right? And every time you got to go see this guy all the time and it's a hundred bucks or something every time you see him for four seconds and he's like, yep, still pregnant. And then you go out the door. (laughs) And one of the early bills we got was for this management fee, right? I was still in the army at this point. It was before I was out of, you know, I wasn't in the dog world or anything. And so you get this bill for this management fee. It was three and a half thousand dollars. So we're paying for having just seen him and we're now paying this management fee. And I said to the receptionist, like, hey, just out of curiosity, like, what is this? Like, what's the management fee? And she's like, oh, well, he's going to manage the pregnancy. And I was like, I feel like Jane's doing that. Like, I don't really understand why we're paying three and a half thousand dollars for this management fee. I was like, I'm not complaining, but I can you help me understand what it is that I'm paying for here? And she goes, well, it's the management fee. And I was like, okay, okay. But if you were to break this into line items, right? Like break this down for me. What are we getting for this three and a half thousand dollars? She says, well, he's managing the pregnancy. I was like, right. Okay. This is a circular argument. No worries. So the next time we go to see him, which I think is like six weeks away or something, he's a cool guy. And you know, this guy brought both my kids into the world. So I've got a lot of time for him Yep. and both tricky to get into the world. Mm. I said to him, I was like, so the management fee, what, what is that? And he goes, well, I'm going to manage the pregnancy. And I was like, okay, here we go again. <laughs> but then he launches into it and he says, you are going to see a bunch of different people along the way. And what you are paying me for is I'm going to read every report and I am going to put all that data together and I'm going to make the decisions of how this, this baby is going to be born. And it put me at ease. It was actually really like, I'm sure I'm not the first person that's asked this because he had a prepared or he's the best on the spot. 
But he explained, you're going to get a bunch of blood tests. You're going to see a bunch of other doctors. You're going to get a bunch of ultrasounds. And all that data is going to come back to me. But those people, when they see and do those things to you, they are specialists in that and that alone, right? And they are going to be only concerned with what their widget or their machine or whatever it is tells them about your pregnancy. But you must not put too much heed, like don't put too much weight into anything they say because they are just seeing their single data point and it's the data point that they think is the most important to them because they're a specialist in that. But all that data is going to come back to me and I'm going to aggregate all that data and I'm going to make the decisions about what we're going to do with these kids. Mm. And evidently, my son Rip, that one that was the first pregnancy and Axel was the same, ended up being uh, planned C-sections because he'd made the decision. He's like, hey, if you were to go into labor, it's called being engaged where they didn't actually turn upside down and get themselves ready to be born. And they both hadn't done that a week before their due date. And so he was like, hey, if you went into labor now, this would kill you. And so I'm making the decision. We're going to do a plan C-section and take the, and they're going to be born on these days. When he told me about the management fee and explained it to me, I was like, yeah, okay, like fair enough. But then it was when I saw him put all this information together and make an executive decision. I was like, oh, that's what we're paying three and a half grand for. Like him to have read all these reports and made all these things and know all the thing, everything that he does and has been through all of these things in the past. He then looked at it and goes, the right thing for you, given all the information that's come from these other people, is for me to decide to do a C-section on this date. And I feel like that's a lot of what we, at a much higher level, that's very similar to the role of the training director in when we're training is the oversight of it. And it's never that, that's one of the things that I've really been super vocal about in the early phases of my career of like train with whoever you want, right? Like do whatever, it's your dog, do whatever you want. But now I'm much more, I still feel that way. I, I still feel like it's your dog, it's your journey. You do whatever is going to work out best for you and your dog. And, and even if I'm one of the people or if I am the manager of all of this, it's still your dog. It's still your journey. You're going to do whatever you want to do with. But I need to know what's going on. Because when your dog starts doing weird shit, I need to be like, oh, okay, well, it's because of this. And we need to be able to weigh the pros and cons of the different people that you're going to. And we need to discuss when you go to this person, why are you going? Because if you're going to go see another trainer, if you're going to go compete in something, you're going to go do, you know, whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's you're going to ask for a working spot at a seminar or you're going to show at a level that you haven't shown at before, or you're just going to start training your dog at a different place, you know, all these various things that it could be is the person who has oversight of that needs to then be able to take in all those data points and go, okay, well, this is how it's going to affect us going forward and do it because you want to do it. But these are the pros and cons and here's the list. And this cons list is bigger than the pros list. So maybe we should consider really deeply whether this is something you should do or it's the other way around. And for sure, go do that. This is going to go wonderfully for you and for the trajectory that we're on. Or maybe the cons list is too big and we go, okay, well, this is how we're going to mitigate a few of those, right? Mm. And we're going to remove these ones by taking these procedures that are going to block that, that from becoming a problem, whatever it is. But I think the importance of having that management piece. Now, that doesn't mean that that's somebody that you're paying. That doesn't mean that that's a person that you know you have to be beholden to. And I think that's what people sort of worry about. And certainly I've observed that in our space is that sometimes people end up beholden to someone and basically like the property or the you're know, owned by, and you're not allowed to do anything without me telling you, you can do it. And if you train somebody else, you're out of here. There's a part of me that understands and sympathizes with that, right? There's a part of me that says, like, if you go somewhere else, then you can't come back here because there's certain points in dog training, especially with developing a, like a sport dog. There's certain points where you can ruin that dog in 10 minutes, you know, like one wrong action. You get a young dog and you do something stupid with it, come at it too hard. There's various things that can wreck a dog pretty quickly. And so sometimes I, I sympathize with people who say, if you train somewhere else, you can't come back here because it's my name online, right? If you're a person that's known for training with me and you're posting, you're putting all over your social media or whatever that you're tagging me in and people know that this person and this dog is under the tutelage of this training director and then it all falls apart and you're not going to post that session of it all falling apart. You're going to deny that that happened and the blame can then come to me. And I get how people get in that way. I'm tempted by that demon myself sometimes. But then I remember, I go, no, you're just oversight. This is their fucking dog. This is their journey. And all you can do is give them the information and tell them how to get through this the best. 
And almost always, because they when people are drawn to somebody to go train with them, it's because they're fucking good, mm. right? Or or they've done a good job of making themselves look good, but they're good. And so they go to them and you, when you turn up and you say, the reason I'm here is because me and my training director have determined that there's a gap in our training that is best filled by you. There's something you know that he doesn't and that I don't, and we want you to put that into the dog or demonstrate it to us in order that we can make the progress that we want. And I think that as a person who has done that for many people and had it done for me, like that's what I think as well is worth pointing out is that you can for sure have oversight of your own dog. If you, you there's a certain experience level where, or that might be some people's first dog because they're very competent at this kind of thing, or it might be several dogs down the line if you're not as as confident. But I would say that even for people who have somebody with oversight of their training, uh, sorry, even for people who give oversight of training to others, usually they will have somebody giving oversight of their training to them. And even the most advanced people are still sending video and crit- get being critiqued by, if not a peer, by somebody that is a trusted and an expert and just another set of eyes. And, you know, that's something that never goes away, I don't think. I don't think that ever goes away. You know, me and you send each other video of like, hey, what do you see here? What I think ends up happening as people sort of get more advanced is exactly like you said to me about some of the handlers that you work with, where you just say to them like, what do you see? How do you feel about this? I think that as you escalate up that knowledge chain, it goes from being told what to do mm. to, because you don't know, right? When when you say to some, there's certain people when you say, what do you think of the dog doing this? They're like, I haven't got a fucking clue, mate. That's why I'm here talking to you. And then there's you eventually reach a point where you can say to people, what do you think of this? And they then, rather than you just spoon feeding them the information or telling them what's what, your role then as the mentor or training director or whatever is to help them come to that understanding that you've seen yourself so that they can do that again for themselves next time. And you're redundant at that point. You don't need to be there for that person. They develop their skill set, they get better, and then they're doing the same for somebody else, right? So like, I feel like that's sort of the trajectory of the oversight of training. And I just wanted to, I guess, talk about how important it was now that we've sort of better explained what it is that I'm, I mean. I love that story that you told about your, what were they, a paediatrician? Obstetrician, yeah. Obstetrician. That was mm-hmm. fascinating and I don't think we've ever talked about that before. I mean, you've certainly included me on in a lot of detail about Rip and Axel's births and especially Axel because he was going through such a traumatic experience with you and Jane mm-hmm. at the start and poor little Axel during his birth. But, I mean, thankfully he pulled through all that and, Everything's mm. great and he's a ball of energy and that basically is. a nuclear fission reactor. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some very good points made along the way. I mean, so many of them as usual. I just wanted to touch on the importance of that question, asking what do you see? I think when you're included in those conversations with your trainer, being a handler and working with your dog and having your training director or your trainer in the room with you, it's very easy to get consumed with just do this, just do that, put the dog here, and basically following a dotted line. However, once again, you're in the realm of somebody just providing you with a fish every day. And it Mm. comes back to that very old biblical saying of give a man a fish, he eats for the day, teach him to fish and he eats for the rest of his life. I love that. I quote it all the time. I'm constantly saying that to students when I'm working with them. Part of the ascension of training or transcending into learning as much as you can about yourself and your journey that you're being on is having somebody that will tell you what to do. They're at the stage where they're giving you fish. But when you're at the stage where you need to fish yourself, that's why those questions are important when you're saying to somebody, what are you seeing? What do you think of this effort? And it's great that people then start to, and again, you know, like we're using the the term bracketing before, Because when people are in those brackets of knowledge where they've been working with it long enough, they've been working with other trainers or they've just been with you for a long period of time, they transcend into a realm where they think about it more frequently and they want to ask questions and they want to be part of the conversation. Not asking that question to them is a disservice to your student. Like you're really holding them back and hobbling them in their career. So I love it when I do get to have those opportunities and I did for the last couple of weeks. There were times where, you know, like I was watching a demonstration for the dog, especially towards the start and dogs were doing behaviors, 
and sometimes they were extreme behaviours in some of their exercises they were doing. And just getting to have that conversation alone with the handler without them feeling intimidated or with a room of other people or feeling that, you know, there was an hourglass that was turned upside down and the sand was running through, none of that was happening. What I wanted to do is completely put their mind at ease. And I want to do this for most people that I'm working with these days. As you ascend in your capability as being a mentor, a training director, a trainer, an educator, whatever, ultimately that's your goal is to be a part of a conversation. Having those conversations and getting to listen to the handlers coming back and saying, that was interesting. Here are my thoughts. Sometimes they knew the answer to it but mm. were too intimidated to try and resolve it or suggest it because maybe that's not been the case in the past. I'm not suggesting that that was here because, I, don't, you know, I know the, the guys listen to this show and I don't want them to think that I don't acknowledge their good work because I can tell you I am acknowledging their good work. I can see the extreme progress they're making, the uplifting side of what's happening there at AFP headquarters and with our groups. It's really encouraging to see that sort of thing. But it's also nice that that old mentality of agencies where just shut up and do as you're told isn't part of that conversation anymore. The conversation Mm. is now like be part of the conversation, learn about this, don't just be a handler anymore, know how to troubleshoot, know what happens. It's like anybody who's a, a first responder or first on the scene to anything, like you need to know what your responsibility is and where to do handovers from that point in time. I've never been in agencies before. I'm not police. I'm not military. I've never been sworn in. I've owned a security or been a partner in a security company. I work security for fucking years inside clubs, man and dog teams, EDD, you know, like I've done lots of stuff, but I also know, and I also knew where my limitations were, where I needed to, I wasn't a cop, so I didn't do cop stuff. Whenever I was in a dangerous situation that involved police, that's where I called police. I never tampered with evidence. I never touched anything that I shouldn't have touched because that wasn't my role. I'm also not a paramedic, you know, like an ambulance attendee or whatever you want to call them. So I could do first aid. I'm qualified in first aid. I used to do first aid on people. But when it became serious and it was beyond what I could do, first thing I'd do is call the ambulance. And that's what people have to know. That's what you have to understand is where is the line? Where does your training, where does your education, where does your liability, where where should you stop lawfully? And there's a lot of those times, even in dog training between training director and student or trainer and student and so forth is where do you draw the line? Like where is your knowledge? Where does your responsibility start and end? As I said before, as I alluded to before, this is why these are good questions to ask. Like, what do you see? What do you know? What could you tell me about this? Even for you as a training director or somebody who's involved in educating other people is ask yourself those questions when you're alone and you have some time to meditate on them. What do I know about this sort of situation? The advice that I'm giving, is it enhancing the situation? Am I making my student better or am I hobbling them now? Am I holding them back? I find they're probably really good things to reflect on because you and I, mate, we get to have this podcast where it's you and I talking and there's a large audience now that's listening to us and they don't necessarily get to be a direct part of this conversation. We often go back to our discussion list on Facebook and we, you know, have a, a partial conversation with people after the fact, but we never get really get to have a direct conversation. But there are times where we've done shows before and we've talked on subject matter and people have come back and It's been overwhelmingly good and, you know, like they're coming back and saying loved it, ticked a lot of boxes for me, made me reflect on some things that I need to change. And occasionally there's times where people are a little bit underwhelmed with things that we've said. I find sometimes we can tend to focus overly on that rather than the overwhelming positive side of it. But the good thing is, is to keep it in check sometimes, is to keep those balances and checks in place where we don't focus too heavy on one side or another, but kind of aggregate more towards the middle where we can say, all right, well, that's good. You know, like I'm glad that there's a lot of people who learn from that, but there may be uh, learned people who are involved in that conversation as well and, and add something to that conversation. You know, they add value to it or they add something that's lacking to that conversation where they say, well, now that you're talking about this, this is an area of expertise that I actually offer. And there have been great schooling moments for myself along the way of my life journey where good people have stepped in and say, hey, Glenn, I heard you talking about this. 
I can add something to that or I can realign some thinking that you've had there because there are a few things that you're saying that were old evidence, but there's new evidence to support a better outcome. Would Mm. you like to know? And they asked me that question, which I really have appreciated of people. Instead of it just being an argument or a clash of egos, they asked me that question. Would you like to know? Or what do you think about this when they present me with different material? I kind of like to pay that forward because it's been afforded to me by people I've met on this show, people I've met in life, conversations that I've had with people when I've opened myself up to them. And I find, you know, now that I'm on this long ranty trajectory of all this, it's not really a rant, it's just a discussion, but I kind of feel that it's really important for our agencies to adopt this as well. And when I do see that happen, I see so much opportunity pouring in. I see so much capability of change and reflection and conversations to take place between the handlers and the trainers and the directors and everything like that. And I know, I know, I know some of these poor sods have got financial limitations and, you know, you've got the wrong person sitting in the chair making the decisions for you and not making the availability for you. I know that because I've had those conversations with these people in past and in different agencies and so forth. But when you see the right people there, take Kirsto, for example, what he's providing and what he's doing for his people is just fantastic. But he's also playing a a part of a team where he gets to be a pivotal part, but his management and the people around him are also saying yes and ticking boxes and opening doors. Sometimes they might not be as fast as they would like. And that's why I'm saying if, you know, like if the right people are listening to this, please consider how important the role is and please consider this. I'm not just talking about agencies. I'm also talking about businesses too. Businesses that sometimes they don't understand that. They don't understand the people that are working for them. They don't understand what they need. They don't understand the equipment they need. They don't understand what's lacking in their capability, even their marketing, because they're not asking all those right questions. What do you need? What do you see? What's happening around you? Yeah. That kind of feeds into the idea we were just saying before about like an accountability partner. I feel like that's one of the big parts of training as well is, you know, I'm sure there's people listening saying, Hey, I'm not in the police. I've just got this. I'm the, I'm a person with a random dog and I, I train by myself. I'm not seeing a bunch of trainers. I'm just getting the info that I can get. That's why I'm listening to your podcast. I'm getting all the, the stuff that I can online. I don't have a training director. I'm new to this. How do I do it? And then what I, my answer usually to that is some sort of accountability partner. And I think that, you know, it's having somebody who, even if they don't know more than you, even if they're at the same level as you, right? Like even if you're both on the journey together, having an accountability partner that works with you and just keeps you honest, I mm. think is the next best thing to somebody who has oversight of your training. Somebody who just goes like, Hey, are you putting in the work? Are you doing it properly? That's something that Jazz does for me incredibly as I become complacent in my own training. You know, when you have so much oversight of other people and then when it's time for me to get my dog out and I typically am just like, yeah, I'm expent. I've done a lot of thinking throughout the day of like, what am I doing with these other dogs? And then if you've only got 80%, then you need that accountability partner who then gives you 20% more Mm. and says to you like, hey, Make sure you do these things properly. What are you doing? Like, you, I know what you're working towards. This is not getting you any closer. And just somebody that can give you that critical feedback. It doesn't need to be somebody who is going to be dropping knowledge bombs on you left, right, and center, but somebody who's just in your sphere of influence that knows you. And I think one of the most important things, and certainly I, I appreciate that this can be a difficult thing to come across in the dog world, is somebody who can hit you with some fucking hard words and you not be offended by them. I think that's one of the most important Mm. things to keep in your life is a person who can hold you accountable to things in a way that you'll never look at their motives as being less than for you. And I think that that's one of the things that we certainly, you know, a lot of people maybe even have that person in their life and in their training, but don't acknowledge it. And therefore the words that they say can feel venomous and they can retract from that person and no longer want to be involved with that person. When in reality, for the most part, I think anyway, if somebody takes the time to intervene in your training or give you feedback in what you're doing, it's because they care about your success. Because I can tell you the people I don't care about their success, I don't comment. I don't tell them, (laughs) right? Like, unless there's something that I think is 
unfair or unethical to the dog, then I might step in. But for the most part, for the people who I don't want, there's nobody I don't want to be successful. The people who I don't care about, if you're doing something wrong with your dog and, or I can see the problem that you're creating and I don't tell you, it's because I don't care. It's that when people then step in and have enough, take that risk in damage, you know, the damage to the relationship or how you'll think of them to then say to you, Hey, this is what I see. This is my perspective. And this is where in my experience, I see this going, having somebody like that and trusting somebody like that, that their words are never venom to you. It might hurt. It might fucking hurt a lot, but they're not saying it in order to hurt you. They're saying it in order that you are successful even though it might hurt when it's, when you're hearing it. I think that finding and maintaining somebody like that into your training, especially if you're training towards something is one of the most important things. I think that even if you, if you don't have access to a mentor or a training director or somebody who can manage that training, start to finish for you, the very next best thing is an accountability partner who says like, Hey, are you sure that you're giving your hundred percent here? And if you're not capable of it, let me remind you of the things that the gaps that I see, let me plug those for you and give that last 20% to get us back to where we need to be. Great points. Really made me think about conversations that you and I've had with Bertie before on that very topic where the delivery of it is really important itself. Like having the ability to have that conversation in a genuine and dare I say it a loving way where, you know, mm. it doesn't, I'm not talking about intimate loving, but I'm talking about where you care about someone, where you can pull them aside in an appropriate way and have that conversation. It takes a lot of the sting out of the hurt that they feel. Mate, I had some conversations like that over the last couple of weeks. You know, there were a couple of people who were really nervous who were doing some silly things and we got to have some conversations and I just said again I asked that question what do you think's going on here and they said I'm really nervous and I said of what and they said there's a lot of people here you're here you know listen to the podcast with you guys blah 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 and I said forget all that think about what's happening next like get your mind in order there is no running clock you're not on timing you're not getting your ass kicked we're not talking about stacking punishment here I want you to think about what happens And, you know, like you need to be a police officer as well. This is a part of the training. So think about your safety, the dog's safety, the community safety, like bundle it all together. I don't want that to add mounted pressure onto you, but I want you to think about putting that all in a good place. And the great thing was, mate, is when you can have a calm and a detailed conversation with people at times, you often find that it gives them the ability to think through it rather than panic more. And I find that There've been times where I've spoken to people and it's been inappropriate. It's just been too much pressure. I've said the wrong thing. Instead of adding value to the conversation, I've added more pressure to the conversation. And Mm. we've used analogies before where, you know, like you need to put your foot on the brake and not your foot on the accelerator. And you often need to think about which one of those is that now. As part of mentoring people or educating people, those sort of things, there's a lot of things that have to pop up in your mind You know, like you have to draw from a lot of experience there and there's a lot of wells that you need to pull that water from. And it all needs to come in that very finite moment sometimes, which puts incredible pressure on you as somebody who's sitting in that driver's seat. But nonetheless, it's a very important conversation to have because that will give your student the ability to consider what happens next. And what happens next can either be great or it can be damning in a training situation. I just found that not only the last couple of weeks, but other times where I've been reflective on what I've been doing and and not losing my cool, not being impatient, not trying to shine for the wrong people or, or appeal to the crowd or anything like that. I've got to be more intimate in, in the conversations I'm having. Nothing else matters. It's just me and one other person having a conversation mm-hmm. together. All of the other fanfare, all of the other concerns, all of the other worry, it just dissipates. It goes away. And in that moment, it's you and your student like thinking through a problem, you know, or creating an opportunity. And I really feel that if we can do this better, and this is why I've expressed concerns over social media before, I've had other people agree with me, I've had people concerned with how deep that I take this and feel that it's coming from a different place. But my overall concern is sometimes social media or even crowds, they switch our ego into overdrive sometimes and the student pays for it. They're in the firing line Mm. of this incredible 
it's almost like a Hulk figure that comes out of you. When you need to be Bruce Banner, you've become the Hulk and that's not good for your student or not good for the dog at that time. You really need to keep things in perspective of how it's affecting what really you're trying to drive. And it should be your work that is evident and not just the one moment. It should be reflective across everything that you're doing. That's what should be in the limelight, not the theatre. I really worry about the theatre sometimes And I was just saying to you off air before, I'm glad that I didn't grow up in the social media time. I know it's still present. I know I still have all the opportunities to do it. And I do know that people need to do social media. So I'm not condemning people for marketing their business, showing good work, because as much as I'm saying this, I also learn things from watching people on social media. I watch a bunch Mm. of people doing good stuff and I look at it and I think, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad they put that opportunity up for people to learn. I'm glad that they made the time to put this together because it's an important production and it was free. It was very generous of them to do it and I'm really appreciative because it was amazing. Where other times I watched it and I thought that was just a fucking ego show. All that was was just people making content just to say, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling loved today. I need to be loved. You know, Nicole Drinkwater, who's one of my, (laughs) she's a comedian and she really carries it on sometimes, but she often posts, I'm not feeling validated today, so I'm going to make some content. (laughs) And I laugh because she's very honest about it. She's very honest about it and really makes me laugh. But getting back to the importance of training students and working as a mentor or working as a trainer, think about how that pulls your student into a realm where they might not be comfortable of and you never really had that conversation with them. You've just said, hey, this is my fucking ride. I'm putting my foot on the gas as hard as I can here. And for that, it can be terrifying for them. Mm. It certainly, I remember this, you know, using that analogy, I remember this when I was a kid, I was 15 years old and my cousin just got his license. And back then you could buy whatever car engine size you wanted as an 18-year-old. And he had this Valiant V8 that was just an absolute horsepower machine. And he took me for a ride and it scared the shit out of me. It absolutely terrified me. It wasn't fun. I wasn't having a good time. I was just like literally hanging on thinking at any minute, my cousin's going to kill both of us. He's just out of control in his car. (laughs) And that's the ride that we can take our students on sometimes without actually having that conversation with them and, and saying, how do you feel about all this, man? Like where do you fit yeah. in this and and how is this working out for you? Because after all, you're the one that's the recipient of this moment, of this education, of this lesson that we're trying to complete here. Yeah. I have these weird conversations with my kids, with Rip especially because he is old enough to have them, where if ever there's a time where you're someone's mentor, that's the situation, right? Like, yeah. if, like his success is ultimately on my shoulders. Like I am responsible for that and – of course, he is who he is. His genetics is, I can take credit for 50% of those as well. But, you know, his behavior, the way that he is developed, that's my responsibility, me and Jane. And there's sometimes where you have to have these hard conversations about lots of different things, right? It could be like trivial shit from not annoying his brother to bigger, more complex things about his relationships at school and stuff like that. And sometimes, sometimes people are wrong and you have to sort of give them that perspective from the outside and say, hey, you're, you're not correct about how this is, you know, your perception of this. But I find that really easy with my kids because I get to have this saying in the front of it where I say, hey, there isn't a version of this conversation where I want you to feel bad about anything. And as their dad, I can say to the kids, there's nobody in the world that cares about you more than me, except maybe your mom who can only care the same, right? So like everything that I'm going to say some of that might be very uncomfortable to hear or you might not like it. You might not agree with me and it's possible I'm wrong. That's one of the things that I sort of put out as well. Like maybe I don't have all the information. Maybe, maybe what I'm saying to you is not correct. You know more than me on this particular thing you were talking about, but we can accept all of that. But the base, the foundation of our conversation, there's just no way I'm trying to cause you ill will. There's no way I want you to be upset. There's no way that I have any nefarious intent about what I'm saying to you. When you have that conversation, when that's the foundation, then beyond that, you can start to really get into the weeds. And what I find with my kids as well is I can remind them of that along the way. When we're when we're working through stuff, I can say, hey, while you're getting upset, I'm getting upset. We're entering into big feelings territory. Mm. I find myself constantly grounding the conversation in, hey, like there isn't a version of this 
where we storm away from each other. That can't exist because we're stuck together forever. <laughs> like, like there's no, there, there isn't a version of events where you're not my kid and where I'm not responsible for how you turn out. So we're working through this to the end and you can get as upset as me as, as you like, and I can get as mad at you as like, but the underpinning fact of our relationship is I love you more than anything. And so the people I work with, they aren't my kids. But since I started doing that with him and I found the power of that and the trust that comes of it, how important that is. Like that's one of the things that I try and whenever I have information that's going to be difficult to pass on to someone, I usually try and frame it around that idea of like, hey, if I didn't care, I wouldn't pass this on because this, this conversation is going to be difficult for us. This is, uh, you know, we're going to develop big feelings about this as we go. You might not like hearing what I've got to say. I might be wrong. That could come of all of this as well. But there isn't a version of this where I'm trying to hurt you. You might get hurt, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, uh, you know, help you. I'm trying to progress. And sometimes they're the very big conversations that I'm having with my kids, but learning how to frame that in a similar way with people that I work with and people that have asked me for help, but maybe don't want to hear the answers or again, hear an uncomfortable answer, framing that around that trust of like, these words might feel hurtful, but there's no venom in them. I don't want that. I am trying to help you on the path. That's how I wanted to sort of finish in that when we talk about the importance of somebody having oversight of your training. If they don't have that attitude, then maybe you are better off alone. Right? Like if somebody is steering you in directions for their own amusement and it's not because they genuinely want what's good for you, then that's the circumstance where maybe you are better off bumbling around in the dark than being led into the wrong direction by somebody maliciously. Mate, that's a good point. I don't want this to keep going any further than it needs to because it's nearly time to wrap it up. However, reflecting on what you said before, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, good or bad, but I'm having the conversation, it comes from an area of care. If you and I are talking, there is an element of I care about wanting to have this conversation or I care about you. I know for myself that once I've given up that, it's just silence from there. Mm. And it, it's reflective on what you said before. There's just times where I just know there's no point in doing this anymore. There's no point in this dance anymore. This relationship is done. Why would I bother hurting myself or antagonizing you? It's just better if we just go. It's like the Elvis song. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. It's, mm. What's the point? That's the time where the path needs to split and you just need to go your own way. Because we're talking about you know, like the importance of relationship building and the importance of knowing how to have a conversation and how to include people in conversations. But it's it's also important to know when to end the conversation, when that relationship really does need to end and the path needs to split from there. Jesus, that could be a whole conversation on itself and it probably is for another time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I feel that there have been fillers in, in other conversations that we've had where this is an important part of the subject matter is how do I finish a relationship with somebody, you know, and there's, mm. there's times where people have reached out to you and me individually or collectively where they've said, you know, like I've listened to a show, I've realized that I'm in the company of the wrong person and I need to end it. Sometimes that's been in their personal relationships or sometimes that's been in their training relationships. I'm not a marriage mm. counselor. I'm not a guidance counselor. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of those things. I don't have the right or the capability to tell you in your personal relationships with people when or is the right time to end it or begin it or whatever it is. That's something that you need to decide. But as I said to a lot of those handlers that I was working with over the last couple of weeks, I'm here merely to offer suggestions. It's up to you what you do next. You're powerful. You can consider your life path Myself, you, Pat, and everybody else that meets with people and tries to help them, it's merely suggestions. That's all we're doing mm. is we're basically saying here is an idea or here is a skill set or here is a path. It's up to you to choose it. Will it complement what you're doing or is it going to affect your long term? We can try it and we can also strip it away if it's not having any relevancy or any improvement in what we're doing. There's no harm, no foul in that as well. Because some of the suggestions that I'm offering people, it's not anything that's going to hurt. It's not anything that's going to create like a permanent problem. It's just simply something that we can say, this should complement what you're doing. It's a suggestion, but it should mm. complement what you're doing. 
I just want to give one quick mm-hmm. shout out to Greg Caddy, who was the other, he's the part of the trio of Red Team. Oh, yeah. Greg's former military, he was a uh, bomb tech. He's done all the cool guy stuff. He's been deployed. He's done all that sort of stuff. However, that's not what I wanted to give him credibility for. He had a, a little Kelpie the last time we were on course together that he actually did sell to the army and he'd done a lot of great work with her. And he's now got a five-month-old Kelpie puppy, which he's got almost completely off-lead capability. He's got it detecting odor and he's got the generalization of the environment. Five months old, I've watched that dog work numerous times in different environments. I laid the odor out for the dog and incredible work ethic from a five-month-old dog. I've told Greg personally, but I just want him to know how incredibly impressed I was with his talent, his fortitude. That dog's going to be for sale at some stage if you're looking for a good detection dog. I mean, I've been around enough detection dogs and the capability of them now. If you don't speak to Greg or have a conversation with him about this dog for an agency or even for private work or whatever, you are going to miss out on a really good opportunity. That dog is fantastic. And it just goes to show... Greg, he wants to do this ongoing and I'm not trying to plug a business for him. You know, like I was giving him suggestions. I said, mate, you should raise three or four of this. He goes, mate, I just don't have the headspace to do it. I just like to do it one at a time. It's kind of a hobby thing for me, but terrific. The attitude of the dog, even when we were driving around on base, he'd pop the dog out of the car and the dog would just run next to the car. Five months old. Most dogs, you know, it's like little children. They don't know have, have any idea what they want to do. No pressure. It's all come from attitude of the dog really really good work from greg so get in nice. touch with him if you want if you want a good dog seriously nice mm. all right well that's it for another episode of the canon paradigm as always if you like what you hear please like rate share subscribe do that through whatever subscription service you download us from if you want to support the show best way to do that is to jump into patreon a few bucks a month gets you access to a giant backlog of information as well as new stuff going forward won't I get us any more, apple vision glasses stuff. though no, can't be gotten. Can't be gotten. Won't happen. Can't be gotten. Not by us. Not by us. We'll get them at some point. Yeah. I want it so badly. I've been watching people using them. They're <laughs> fucking... We would be able to do podcasts like we're sitting together when yep. we're remote like this. I know. We can like have two room. weird looking avatars that I could even probably yep. have hair again. It would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we could do cartoon versions. Yep. Yeah, I want one too, but we'll get them at some point in our lives. But the best way to support us is in Patreon there. Or the other thing you could do is to jump uh, into spring. Yeah, spring. Oh, what I'll say of Patreon is part of my online course is ready. And I've put it into Patreon for those guys to purchase, but it's 200 bucks cheaper than it's going to be if you buy it in the real world. (laughs) If you got into Patreon and paid three bucks, you could then get $200 off of my online course. That would be a wise thing to do. Amazing. When's your online course ready to be launched? The first part is they got the Patreon guys are kind of beta testing it for me now. It's getting really good feedback. Amazing. Everybody seems to be really happy with it. It'll go to my email list probably end of the next week and then to the public a couple of weeks after that. So I'm pretty excited. It's all going really well. Get on it, folks. Getting I know feedback, how much. Which is, well, I can't imagine it wouldn't. You, I know how much work and passion you've been putting into it. Anyway, so carrying on, yep. merch, buy some T-shirts, rock some T-shirts. Everybody looks good in a Canon Paradigm T-shirt. And if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook discussion group. I am going to try and play around with going live in there today because I've got a piece of gear that I want to try and see if it works. So you might see me in there today or maybe not. <laughs> and the other way, if you want to get in touch with us, is you can shoot us an email. We are info at the Love you all. Goodbye. <laughs>